from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 95 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Scratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media as we look forward here to Giants training camp and preview what should be a fascinating camp around a team that went to the playoffs last year. High expectations. We'll get into those and some of the biggest question marks um, leading into year two of Ben McAdoo camp and Ben McAdoo's team here with the New York Giants. James, we'll start with you. You know, we're doing this podcast Looking forward to what is going to be, I think, one of the more highly anticipated Giants camps in a while. Like last year was because it was Ben's first year at the helm. But this year, it comes with the specter of, of big expectations behind this football team. Definitely. Uh, I think you look, obviously, last year, 11-5, make the playoffs first time in four years, beat the Cowboys twice. On paper, the roster is better. And I think there's definitely going to be a lot of expectations kind of place this team. I'm intrigued to see, you know, over the summer, it's kind of a dead period. So every time one of those NFL preview magazines pops up on a newsstand, I grab it, you know, just kind of curious about what they say. We really haven't seen like a major, you know, all in Giants prediction yet. Most of the magazines have them making the playoffs again, winning a game or two, then bowing out. But I, I still think at the end of the day, when we get to the summer, Someone big is going to predict this team to go to the Super Bowl, potentially win the Super Bowl. And I think that's something that's going to be on the mind of a lot of fans going into the season. I think that, you know, if you look at everything, and, and we'll discuss later in the show, there's definitely some teams in the NFL and the NFC ahead of them. But I think the Giants, they're trending in that image of a team that could seriously contend for a title, which is kind of you know crazy to imagine considering where they were two years ago. Yeah, I mean, if you told me that last summer, I, I wouldn't have believed it. Then in a year, that would be the story. And Dan, the most recent uh, odds that came out of Vegas had the Giants 10th in the NFL in Super Bowl odds, 5th in the NFC. So kind of like what James was alluding to there, where people think this is a playoff team, yet not many have made that leap towards, you know what, maybe they're going to take a big jump from what they did last year. Yeah, and I kind of agree with James. I'm surprised that there hasn't been a little more momentum. I mean, A, you just have the New York factor, obviously, uh, that that tends to generate a bit more buzz. And also, I think you don't always want to pick the obvious team. I don't know if there is one in the NFC. I guess the Falcons, obviously. Um, but they seem like that team that's kind of lurking right below the surface uh, that would be a kind of a trendy pick. I mean, it seems like people have kind of jumped over them and, and gone to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, but I really think if you look at the Giants, you know, 11-5 and five last year, and like James said, they upgraded the rosters. Now, whether that translates to a better season – uh, and it's a long way to find that out. But I would think just looking at this team on paper, uh, I could see why people would think they're a Super Bowl contender. Now, uh, the NFC, like I said, is really wide open. So uh, it's a little different than, say, the AFC, where you just put the Patriots in and, and you know, hope for you know someone gets hurt or something. If you want to knock them out of the uh, Super Bowl picture. But NFC is wide open. So I think the Giants, uh, you know, said they're the fifth best odds. Might be a good bet um, because I, I think that they really can, uh, you know, compete with any of those teams above them. And the biggest difference for them this year, obviously, is they need to get a home game uh, in the playoffs because going to Green Bay again uh, is, is not the best conditions. I know it worked in the past, but last year showed that that's, that's typically how it goes when you have to go into Lambeau in January. Yeah, it feels like maybe eight, ten years ago that was shifting, and it was like, yeah, just get in the playoffs, no big deal, and then you can win the whole thing. But lately it's, it's kind of gone back towards home field advantage or at least a, a, a couple home playoff games. That certainly makes a difference. James, when you look at this team as you project and look at these rosters, I know you guys have been writing up these countdowns 
um, on NJ.com what the different players are going to be in camp. Which question mark stands out to you right now? Like, you know, when let, let's fast forward, James, about a month from now. If you're if James Crash is going to write on NJ.com, the Giants look like a Super Bowl type of team, right? If you're going to have that feeling, what do you have to see in camp? Like, what question has to be answered for you to say, yeah, they're going to be really good? Well, I think you got to start with the offensive line. You know, we, we've got to see Bobby Hart and, and Eric Flowers or – you know, if it's not hard, you know, Biznawati or, or DJ Fluker, we have to see the two tackles hold up. You know, I know it's not going to be a whole lot of snaps, but, you know, can they hold up against the Steelers, you know, for that, you know, couple plays they play maybe in week in the first week of the preseason? You know, the Browns, maybe a little bit more. Jets, can they hold up against the defensive line? I mean, I think this whole season is going to kind of ride on the off. Well, it's going to ride on two people. I think, you know, the offensive line. And Eli Manning, I think. But I, I think before you get to Eli, you have to look at the offensive line. The Giants, they, they pumped out all this optimism. You know, Eric Flowers, Bobby Hart, you know, working out at the facility, you know, best shape of their lives, all that stuff. Well, now the pads are going to come on, and we're going to get to camp, and there's going to be other colored jerseys kind of rushing at them. And we've got to see these guys actually hold up, I think, before the Giants can talk about anything related to the Super Bowl. Because if they get to the season – it's great that you know you have Brandon Marshall. It's great, Red Ellison, Evan Ingram. That's great. Last year we did the same kind of thing with Cruz and Beckham and Shepard, and how awesome this offense is going to be, and it was not good. And I think it starts in the offensive line. It trickles down to Eli. It's going to get to the run game. We have to see this offensive line hold up. And I'm not just saying you know be a little bit better than they were last year. You actually have to see them be, I think, productive before you can make that Super Bowl leap? That's a big question. This whole season is going to be about the offensive line. It does feel that way. Dan, it feels like the conversation, as much as the Giants have improved, and I, I agree with you guys said and what James said, like you know, adding Brandon Marshall and going out there and, and beefing up the receivers around um, Eli and even the tight end situation, like it's a better team. Um, but that offensive line is still the same question mark. It feels like we could probably dig back into – an episode we did last year around this time and probably early in the episode previewing training camp, we probably talked about the offensive line. Right. And I think last year, you know, it was kind of, that, you know, fool me once, uh, you know, that old saying, because I kind of bought into all the, the kind of, you know, I don't want to call it propaganda, but just all the, the positive vibes. Oh, don't worry about the preseason, you know, Oh, you know, we'll be fine once you're in the season and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, obviously that happens in some instances, but last year, what you saw in the preseason is what you saw all through the regular season, all the way into the playoffs. The offensive line never got it together. I've always thought this idea that it'll just click and, and banking so much on guys who weren't very good in their first years making a jump magically in their third year uh, has not been a, a very you know intelligent approach. Um, and again, it's, it's easy in the spring. Everyone's in the best shape of their life. Everybody worked harder than they ever have. Um, and, and people get swept up in that optimism. I mean, it's coming from the Giants. We're going to sit there and say, well, our flower still looks like crap. <laughs> you know, they're going to obviously kind of fuel that optimism. And again, it's easy to buy into it uh, in May and June. But like James said, we'll see when the lights come on. Even in the, the preseason, I think is going to be important for our flowers, which sounds kind of crazy. Uh, but he's going to be watched so closely this year because uh, I think the, the fans are probably already at their wits end with him. But uh, you know, the, the coaching staff and the front office has put so much faith in this guy. They need to hit him just to get off to a good start, try to erase some of the memories and, and some of the thoughts people have about him. Uh, but obviously, that's the Achilles heel. If this team doesn't make a long run, 
it's going to be basically two factors in my opinion. Uh, it's going to be injuries, which obviously is out of their control, but they had a tremendous, uh, uh, you know, run last year after having so many bad years uh, late in the Coughlin era with, with guys going, you know, going down all the time. Uh, they stayed remarkably healthy last year. That's, that's something you can't count on, but obviously you, you kind of need that if you're going to make a run, but the offensive line is the other thing they can control. And if those guys don't, you know, reward the faith that they've shown in them. Uh, I don't think the team will, you know, crater. Cause I mean, listen, they won 11 games last year with, you know, with a bad offensive line and, and you know, weaker weapons. Uh, but I think that's the thing that if there's something that prevents them from, you know, getting over the top, uh, it would be the fact that, you know, are they going to be able to run the ball when they need to run the ball? Are they going to be able to protect Eli when they need to put up 35 points to beat Aaron Rodgers in the playoff game? Uh, you know, those, that, those are the things that are coming back to the offensive line. So uh, that, that's definitely the biggest question mark for me. Uh, before I can really put this team solidly as a as a Super Bowl contender. James, what's your perception year two of Ben McAdoo? It's, it's funny. I'm thinking back to last year, and I think we mentioned on one point in one of our episodes, um, I'm trying to remember, it might have been after the Pittsburgh game, one of those games, or maybe the Cleveland game. At one point late last season, maybe the Cowboy game when they won in December, we threw Ben McAdoo's name as a coach of the year candidate out there. And yet he didn't get that much talk in that category. And I'm reading a lot of these preseason list and James you said you you know read these some of these magazines too and I'm looking at these you know this is classic July stuff like ranking the NFL head coaches like everyone does this stuff and I keep seeing a lot of Ben McAdoo like 17 18 20 maybe I saw one at 15 no one seems to think off of last year Ben is I don't know a special coach or a great coach already a top 10 coach like Adam Gase gets a lot more credit and I don't know what I think of Ben McAdoo in that He's an offensive guy whose offense didn't play well, and you know his offensive line didn't do well. Yet we're like, well, you know, what are you going to do? But he won games. He's the head coach now, and he won 11 games. That should count for a lot. What do you think right now of Ben McAdoo heading into year two? I, I I think a lot of it with this ranking stuff has to do with the offensive struggles. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. That, you know, you have Gase ahead of him because I mean, look. Gates was a bigger name when he got the job. He's got the whole Peyton Manning thing. And, you know, Miami, I, mean, I think they were one in four at one point last year. They were pretty – they had dug themselves a hole. They climbed out of it. So I understand why Gates gets more credit. I, I, look, I think we said this on the last podcast. This is going to be a major test, I think, for Ben. Second year, there's going to be a lot of expectations. There's a lot of personalities and egos that have been brought into this team, you know, Obviously, the whole Odell thing, you know, there's a lot of eyes on Odell and what he does. There's a lot of eyes on what Ben does because, let's face it, the perception was that Tom Coughlin had no control over Odell Beckham and that McAdoo maybe didn't have much more control than Coughlin ever had over Beckham in terms of keeping him, you know, focused on the game, all the, you know, the extracurricular stuff. Obviously, uh, you, got, you know, add a big personnel in Brandon Marshall – you know, Eli, you know, Ben has potentially his guy now, Davis Webb. Eli's coming off a bad year. He, ben, you know, kind of ripped Eli at the combine, you know, without coming out and saying it. And I, I think also, and I've written this on NJ.com, their schedule this year is a heck of a lot more difficult than it was last year. Particularly in the middle of the year, uh, they had that little run out of the bye where they get the Rams and the Niners, but they don't have that, you know, Rams and London, Eagles, uh, Bengals, Bears, Browns, soft spot where a, a 500 team can suddenly become an eight and three team. I think they were going in to Pittsburgh that week. So this is a big test for Ben. I, I think he he proved that he has a lot of promise as a head coach, but it's just one year. We saw what happened across town. Todd Bowles was the toast of the town, 
and now he's on the hot seat. So I think that there's a lot going on here and how Ben handles the season and what they ultimately accomplish uh, is going to go a lot farther to us knowing exactly what type of coach McAdoo is than necessarily what last year showed. Stan, what's your read on Ben? I mean, it's funny, as James was saying all that, I was thinking back to Coughlin. Like, I remember during Coughlin's tenure with the Giants, and I know he was a bigger name, and he came in with more, like, he, you know, he had a track record of success, so more was expected of him. I understand that. But, like, every time the Giants lost, or won, really, like, Coughlin was the conversation. I feel like a lot of last year, it wasn't. It was the defense. It was Odell. It was Eli. But, like, Ben was almost like a secondary character, even though he's the head coach of this team. Yeah, and I think part of that is obviously in Coughlin's last year, you had so many uh, you know botched endings of games. And when you think back last year, I can't, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of any glaring mistake McAdoo had as far as game management. I mean, there were little things where, you know, he didn't challenge a play. I think it was uh, in the Green Bay loss in the regular season. I mean, it's little stuff like that that obviously every coach is going to have throughout the course of a season. But he didn't do anything that made you say, wow, this guy's over his head, or wow, he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, I think people liked a little bit that he was a, a gambler on fourth downs. It was fairly aggressive in those situations. But more or less, he kind of just steered the ship. And you know, he's kind of come up more after the season and said that the offense was conservative by design just because they had such a good defense and they trusted you know, their special teams to win the field position battle. I think a little of that's cosmetics. I mean, obviously, you're still trying to score points. I mean, I, I know that there's certain situations in games. You know, At the end of a game, you're trying to run out the clock rather than score. But I don't think they wanted every game to be white knuckle and, and needing a defensive stop in the red zone to, to pull out a two-point win or something like that. So I think that's uh, you know, him putting a little bit of a spin on things. I think they'll be happy to put up 40 points a game this year and, and not have to sweat out every game. But definitely I think the question mark is, with him is that you know, he's an offensive guy. He was, you know, the offense put up a lot of points when he was the coordinator. Obviously, the team wasn't very good, but he was only in charge of the offense. Then he goes to head coach. They upgrade the defense significantly, and obviously Spags has, uh, you know, a track record of success, and the defense carries the team. So you're inclined almost to give the credit to Spags and the defense because McAdoo's baby is offense, and, and that, you know, nosedived last year. He gets credit for steering the ship, like I said, and and did a good job with navigating the Odell, which is a day-to-day, week-to-week thing where you always have to, you know, kind of walk a fine line as far as reining him in, but also not, you know, kind of getting him upset. Um, and, and, you know, he, he had a lot of controversies in his first year, and at the end of the day, he went 11-5. and five. So I, mean, I was someone who thought he deserved more consideration for coach of the year than he got. Uh, I don't think he should have won necessarily, but I was surprised that his name wasn't even coming up. Uh, I think probably just the fact that they upgraded the roster so much, people said, well, hey, uh, he, he walked into a pretty good situation. So like he turned around a team that was six and 10 and, and used the same roster to go 11 and five. But still at the end of the day, the results were what they were. Uh, but I agree. It's a big year for him. I think he's definitely a little more confident in himself. You can, you can just sense, uh, you know, in, not in any tangible way, but I just get this feeling that he's a little more sure of himself because he's obviously never the, 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 you know, electric guy at a press conference, but I think he showed even the spring, he's a little more confident, uh, kind of saying what he wants to say and, and not afraid to, to make a dig here or there. So it'll be very interesting to see how things go. Uh, obviously, his first year went really well. So we'll see if he can uh, build on that or if he, he comes back to earth a little bit in year two. Yeah, and we're going to find out how he handles expectations, which are, are like we're saying, now there. Um, James, I, I think it's a requisite. We haven't done it yet that we've gone too long in a podcast without mentioning o- Odell Beckham Jr.'s name. Do we expect, do you guys expect any sort of, you know, 
uh, I guess to go off of what happened, him not showing up for a while before the uh, the non-mandatory minicamp, do we expect any reverberations of that? Or you think Odell's going to come into camp and just do his thing, and when they line up week one, he's going to be the player he's been the past few years? I think so. I, I mean, look, I think he made it very clear that he's going to show up. I think it. I'm sure he would like to get a new contract and get some more money. That's not going to happen. I think the Giants have made that very clear. I, look, I, I think at this point with, with Beckham, and I wrote this you know, back during minicamp, I think this is the, the pivot point where he, you know, this all kind of has to calm down at this point. You know, the Giants is going on his fourth year, and I, I just don't think it's sustainable that the Giants are just going to continue to careen from one. And look, 97% of the, the Beckham controversies are just stupid and could have been completely avoided without, you know, nonsensical things happening. And, and I just feel at this point that for Ben, for Jerry Reese, for, for ownership, for Beckham, this is going to have to be the point where they're going to kind of have to get through and stop some of this stuff. I mean, look, he's always going to be a big name. He's always going to draw a lot of attention. Uh, he's always going to be a polarizing player. But I, I think this is the season where they really have to not have the, you know, the Giants lost six games last year between the regular season and the playoffs. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think there was some sort of Beckham controversy after five of them. That's yeah, the that feels that right. You, that, that number that you feels just, right. Yeah, you just can't. I think the only game where nothing happened was the first Green Bay game. But then again, I mean, it had just been this debacle on Monday Night Football. So, of course, nothing happened. So I, I just feel like they, they that's the stuff. Look, it, it's always going to be, you know, Odell is – I feel like, you know, Eli Manning, you know, as big as he is, as much as he won, he's just a football player. You know, Odell is kind of like this, you know, transcendent, you know, pop culture icon now. So things are always going to be different with him. I just think that in terms of the on-field emotions, the, the, the that stuff, uh, that's the stuff where they really are going to have to kind of move on from that. Because if they don't move on from that, I, I really, you know, I, I just think that it's going to be bad for all parties involved. Yeah, it feels like it. And I mean, obviously, they need him to be a special player. And the quicker they can get away from all this stuff and just focus on the player, uh, the quicker they'll be able to get there and just, you know, have him do his thing. Uh, you know, as you guys are talking about this team and all these names, and, and Dan, James just mentioned, Dan, the games last year and the, and the few losses they had. And I always think it's interesting, and we can kind of move towards the roster itself for this year and for this camp. So, like, because we have these expectations of a team off the last year, but we all know the NFL. You, you, one year or the other doesn't matter. I mean, outside the Patriots and, uh, you know, when Peyton Manning was playing his teams, very few teams display consistency one year or the next. When you look at this roster, Dan, and I know you guys are doing that roster countdown at NJ.com, how many like, – what kind of win roster do you see? It's one thing to say I think the Giants can win 10 games, but it's another thing to say I think they have this kind of talent. Like when you just look at the roster itself, is this a 10-win team? Do you think it's an 11-win team? Like what kind of talent do you think they have up and down the roster? Yeah, I'd say probably 10 is a good number to, to throw out there because, again, they won 11 games and they're probably a better team, but that doesn't guarantee anything because, again, James said the schedule is going to be tougher. I mean, they won so many close games last year just because they had lost so many close games the year before. Everything tends to even out in sports and in football, so I would think that they're probably not going to win you know, 9 out of 10 one-possession games or whatever the stat is I don't have off the top of my head, but they obviously won a lot of close games last year, and I can't count on that happening again. 
but at the same time, it feels like a playoff team. So, you know, that's that's the big barometer. Um, you know, I don't think they're a 14 and two team, but I'd be very surprised if they just, you know, crater and become a seven and nine team. So I think 10 wins is probably, uh, you know, where I would go. I have to go back and you know, look at the schedule game by game. But obviously that's, a you know, kind of a uh, just a fun practice at this point because we have no idea. You know, every year what's the stat that two teams that didn't make the playoffs make it. And so obviously two teams that made it drop out. So it's hard to predict who's going to be good um, or, you know, who's going to be the top teams. And I think the Cowboys are a team that uh, is ripe for potentially falling back to the pack. So that obviously would, would, you know, work out well for the Giants. But to me right now, 10 wins feels right. I mean, it could obviously go one one win probably in, in either direction. I, I'd lean towards going up. Like, I, I, just, I definitely think that they're a playoff team. And I think things really have to, to kind of fall apart for them to miss out. Um, but it's certainly possible. It's going to be a tough division, too, because I think the Eagles uh, are better. And obviously Giants fans know how much trouble they've given the Giants over the past few years. So uh, it's going to be an interesting battle between the Cowboys, uh, Eagles, and Giants. I think the Redskins are uh, a tier below. Uh, but anytime you got these division matchups, it's going to be you know it's going to be tough. There's not too many gimmies there, and with a tough schedule, definitely could see them falling back to you know ten wins. But, but I think they'll still uh, get in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you, Dan. I think the Redskins are the worst team. I think the Eagles are a lot better. Uh, Cowboys probably come back to Earth. James, we we know, and our listeners know, you've been the m- biggest pro Redskins guy around for years now. Do you see the division? Like, I know we're, we're just getting into camp, and things probably change between now and opening kickoff. But do you see the division that way? I mean, it, I think the Redskins are the worst team, and I don't think they're bad. I think they're about a seven-win team. It feels like another year where there's no really bad team in the NFC East. No, I think the Redskins are clearly kind of the bottom team in the group. I, I agree with that. I, it's like a 9 or 10. I think there's a good chance. I might actually, when we do our season predictions, I might predict this. I could see us having, you know, a three-way tie at 9 and 7 in, in the NFC East. I just think it's one of those years where the NFC is very strong and the NFC East can be strong. I definitely think Dallas is a team. They're going to take a step back. The Giants, again, you know, they won 11 games last year with a – you know what appears to be on paper an inferior roster schedules a lot easier. I think nine and ten. I mean, if things go bad, I, look, I, I agree with Dan. I don't, I don't think this is a team unless you know there's some massive wave of injuries. This is not a team that I think is going to you know finish seven and nine. I think eight and eight is probably the worst case scenario basement for this team. More realistically, they're kind of somewhere in that nine to eleven range. If everything goes well and they're dominant, yeah, maybe they can win 12 or 13 games but i think nine to ten wins is the, is the sweet spot and you know what that might win the nfc east and that might take third place in the nfc east and not even get a wild card berth so i think it's gonna be a really tough division i do think the eagles are gonna be a lot better i think the cowboys they'll slide a little bit but then again i mean if you have that running game you have that offensive line assuming ezekiel elliott's there for all 16 games if Dak Prescott plays well like he did last year, I still think they're a team that's going to contend because they've kind of got all the pieces in place. Their defense is the big question in Dallas. All right, let's do a couple of quick hitters. And, yeah, the defense in Dallas, especially with all the suspensions and injuries they've had, that's certainly something we're going to keep our eye on. Let's do some quick hitters about this camp coming up and maybe some individuals here. Dan, give us – an under-the-radar player. So, you know, obviously not Odell, not Eli. Someone maybe a tier below the biggest names that you're just most looking forward to seeing, whether they get better, worse, healthy, whatever the reason is, you just want to keep your eye on when you walk into camp that first day. I'm going to go with Darian Thompson. And I think everyone probably remembers a year ago at this time, there was a lot of excitement about him. I mean, he was a third-round pick, and 
basically from day one stepped in and and claimed the safety spot next to Landon Collins. You know, entire rookie season basically wiped away with that foot injury, and, and it's a tricky injury that you know, kind of reared its head a little bit in the spring. Uh, he missed uh, OT, uh, mini camp, sorry, with an illness, I believe it was, but the foot definitely bothered him a little bit during OTAs. So obviously, the first of all, I need to get that straightened out, make sure he's healthy. But if he is healthy, uh, the the thought of him coming in and potentially upgrading that safety job, I mean, Andrew Adams did a great job stepping in. It was just solid towards the end of the year. I think he kind of hit a wall, and and you know we all remember that he got benched for Leon Hall in the playoffs, which I think was you know, sort of a questionable decision. Um, I think it sort of shows where the team thought about Andrew Adams' ceiling, though, and they they trusted the veteran more in that game. Uh, but I, I think that the the hope and the expectation is that a healthy Dyer Thompson comes back and and claims that job and is an upgrade. If, you know, if he's a, a ball hawk type guy who can get some interceptions, um, it frees up Landon Collins even more to to do what he does best, which obviously is you know, play up by the line and just be a physical presence. So, I think he's a kind of an X factor on this team because you kind of know what you have in Andrew Adams, and it's going to be solid, and so you have a, a pretty solid baseline to work from. Uh, but, but if Darian Thompson can be, you know, a difference maker back there, that just takes this defense and the secondary to a whole another level. Uh, and then you, you're really talking about a defense that could be, you know, one of the best in the league. If you know it already kind of is in that category, I think it takes him, you know, even higher. So uh, he, he's the guy I think it's really important to see, you know, what he does this summer. Yeah, James, when you look at it outside of Thompson, who's that guy when you walk into camp that first day? You're like, I got to keep my eye on him. He's not really under the radar, but I think it fits the spirit of this quick hitter. Geno Smith, I really, you know, he said all the right things since the Giants signed him. You know, it's him and Antonio Brown have been, like, all over the country working out together. You know, people say Geno's in the best shape. I just really want to see what Geno Smith does in training camp. I still think – I think it's too close to call. I think Josh Johnson has a slight edge to be the number two quarterback. But I'm just fascinated to see, you know, all right, so if he's 100%, if the knee's healed, Geno's full go, I just am really fascinated to see what Geno Smith does. I, I think it's kind of one of those under-the-radar, fascinating position battles. The Giants hope that whoever wins the backup job never has to play. But I just think it's going to be really fascinating to see Geno in training camp. I think it's going to be especially fascinating to see him kind of take the field – against the Jets and the Snoopy Bowl and see what happens there. I, I just the whole idea of Geno and, and you know him trying to you know, kind of salvage his career with the Giants, I, I think is just kind of a fascinating little subplot to training camp this year. You know, off the quarterback stand, and I like the idea of Geno being interesting too, because I, I, I have no idea what he's gonna be the rest of his career because he's started a lot of games, but yet no one seems to think he's any good. The Giants quarterback situation, probably for the first time in a long time, like, you guys are going to have your eyes on it, right? Like, Eli coming off of not a great year, despite um, his defensive star defensive tackle comparing him to LeBron James. Like, Eli didn't have a great year. They drafted a quarterback you guys are going to watch. Geno's interesting to watch. Feels like you guys are going to pay attention to the quarterback this year maybe more than, I don't know. I don't, remember, I don't remember the last time quarterback was interesting to pay attention to at Giants camp, like, since Eli was young. Yeah, and no, I, I, I mean, last year it was kind of – you wanted to see if maybe best case scenario Ryan Nassib could you know have a good preseason and, and boost his trade value or something like that. I mean there wasn't a lot of intrigue there. You knew he was going to be the number two guy, uh, and you also knew he wasn't going to challenge Eli Manning by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so you introduce a young quarterback like Webb, who has done everything you'd want uh, in his first couple of months. I mean he really seems uh, into this and, and and is super committed. Wants to learn from Eli. Wants to just you know take this year to develop. I think 
Stuff's gotten carried away with the idea that he could be the number two quarterback because there's absolutely nothing from the organization that suggests that. The fact that Davis Webb looks good in the spring, all that is to me is more you know affirmation for the front office that we got the right guy. I don't think they're going to scrap their plan of using this as a developmental year for him just because he looks good. I mean, great, he looks good. That's that's he's ahead of schedule. Um, but let's not get crazy. They still don't want to put a guy who was running an air raid offense a year ago into a game if Eli Manning you know rolls his ankle in week one in Dallas. So. I think we pump the brakes on that. Uh, and, like, you know, that's where the backup competition is interesting, too. You know, obviously, Geno Smith is, uh, you know, a more interesting name. And, and Josh Johnson is just this journeyman who has uh, an unbelievable knack for just hanging on. I mean, the guy hasn't thrown a pass since I think it's 2011. And yet he's on an alpha roster every summer. And then even he gets cut last year by the Ravens and immediately snatched by the Giants all season. Everyone's like, why are they carrying Josh Johnson? Why are they carrying Josh Johnson? Well, He's still here. So, I mean, the guy has staying power. You can say that for him. I think, uh, you know, best case scenario for probably the Giants and for Geno is that he wins that backup job because you know, he has a little more upside. He's certainly had some 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 bad moments, a lot of bad moments with the Jets. But he had a few glimmers that sh- say that, hey, this guy was a second-round pick and maybe he, uh, you know, can, can win a game or two if Eli gets hurt. I mean, he's not the long-term answer here anyways because you have Davis Webb for that. But I think that, you know, they want to see – uh, if Gino could be, you know, again, you still need a backup. And Eli's got this unbelievable Iron Man streak. But if he goes down, you still want to have someone capable of stepping in. I think Josh Johnson gives you, you know, probably a veteran guy who, you know, would be able to, you know, pan the ball off and, and maybe not make any crazy mistakes. But Gino might have a little more upside in that role. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. He looked better this spring than I expected for a guy who tore his ACL in uh, October and maybe at the surgery in November, I believe. Uh, he was running around full speed. They they held him back, but he looked really good. So. Um, you know, he, he's in a good situation. He's no, no one's expecting him to come in and challenge Eli Manning. He can kind of resurrect his career if he just doesn't play a snap this year and, and, and just keeps his mouth shut and stays out of trouble. That'll help him. Um, so I, it definitely will be interesting to see. Uh, and, and like I said, with Davis Webb, we're going to be watching him. It's going to be an interesting thing to monitor, but he's not going to play this year. It would take a lot of things to happen for Davis Webb to play this year. So his time to shine is really going to be in the month of August because after that, he's going to be behind the scenes. Uh, you know, all his important work will be done in meeting rooms. All right, guys, let's wrap with this. From each of you, and I'm putting you guys in the spot here, a bold prediction for Giants camp. What I mean by that is let's fast forward the third week after the third preseason game, a third week of August or so. What are Giants fans talking about outside of the normal stuff? Like what's the what's the camp thing that happens that starts conversation, whether it's a breakout player, whether it's someone doesn't look good, um, or whether it's a concern here or there. James, bold prediction, 2017 Giants camp. This is the talk of Giants fans in late August. Giants fans are not going to like this, but the talk of the Giants camp will be this offensive line is going to torpedo us, isn't it? I just have a feeling that whether it's an untimely injury or or, uh, you're not going to see enough progress at some point, we're going to go into the regular season with the offensive line still being a concern just because it just feels like it's just kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy for the Giants. They, they think they do something, they get optimistic, and it doesn't necessarily pan out the way they are. I, I just Until this offensive line proves that it's fixed, I don't think you can assume it's fixed, and I think it has to be a major concern for the Giants. So the 2017 Giants training camp Groundhog Day. Dan, what's yours? <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll go positive to balance things out. I think uh, Sterling Shepard is the number two receiver on this team. Uh, it's funny when, when Brandon Marshall came, he even, uh, you know, kind of uh, said, it, "There's no, you know, I'm not even number two. There's two A and two B with him and Shepard." 
I think Marshall's going to be good. I don't think he's, you know, cooked or anything like some people have, have kind of speculated. But I think Sterling Shepard kind of served a reminder this spring that he can play. I mean, he, he had a you know, strong rookie year, and I think he's going to take a, a big step in a second year. He, and maybe the stats at the end of the day won't show it. Maybe he won't have his – he won't have as many targets maybe, and that's a, probably a good thing. I think uh, for this offense, he'll be spreading the ball around. But I think he's going to have as big of an impact, if not bigger. I think he's going to take, uh, you know, a personal stride as far as being, you know, a bigger impact player. And I think you're going to see that right out of the gates in the summer. Because, you know, he's a second-year player. That's usually a time when guys do make that leap. So as much as everyone might be looking at the numbers or, or you know, what Marshall's going to bring, I think, you know, Shepard's going to serve as a reminder that uh, that he's, you know, a big-time piece of this offense and, and, a, and a really, you know, why it's a trio that's being talked about is potentially the best in the NFL. Because with Beckham, Shepard, and Marshall – I don't I find me a team that has three corners that can match up. Maybe the Giants are, are one of the few that can. Uh, so I think that you know, the excitement is really going to build, uh, of course, as long as the offensive line gives Eli enough time to get the ball to those guys. Yeah, I like that one. I mean, I, I feel like the end of last year, you know, the Packers playoff game, the last few games, I feel like the number two corners on teams had trouble covering Sterling Shepard. Now, you know, teams obviously have to make decisions which corner they put on Shepard. But, yeah, he's going to be a good one. All right, guys, this was fun. And now – now the real fun soon starts, and we're going to start doing these podcasts again, as always, during the season on a weekly basis, starting right at the beginning of camp. So uh, for you guys, I guess get a couple uh, get a couple nights of rest here before uh, the real grind starts. But it's going to be fun. Giants football is almost back. James, as always, thanks for doing this, and uh, looking forward to starting the weekly shows again. Definitely, Joe. It's, uh, it's hard to believe. It feels like just a couple of days ago we were in Green Bay, uh, but here we go, another season. That's right. It moves fast, and the Giants obviously projected to be a good one, so it should be fun to talk about. Dan, thanks for doing this, and we'll start doing these weekly soon. Thanks a lot, Joe. Looking forward to it. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Talk is Cheap. We'll be back soon right here on NJ.com.